Good morning. For sure, one of the most uncomfortable bumper slides I've ever seen, hey? Like those two guys with me in the middle? <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> it's an understatement. Um, thanks for joining us this morning. I'm going to start with a fun story. My son, Isaiah, uh, lived with a group of guys this past year. Uh, there were seven guys in one house. They're all about 20 or 21 years old. So that's uncomfortable just thinking about, right? My daughter, Anna, liked to go over to hang out and visit. And then after the second time, she didn't ever want to go again because it was an awful place to be. Um, they had a lot of fun. Um, one of the guys, Ty, uh, he kind of likes his own space, right? Some of the guys are here, actually, that, that lived in the house this last year. Ty likes his own space, so the other six guys decided, we like Ty's space, too. <laughs> so every night uh, before bed, uh, Hudson would scare or tickle Ty, <laughs> one of the two. And uh, it, it, the, the scaring ones were my favorite, because... Every night, like, Ty would go in, he'd check everywhere, and then Hudson would be hiding in some spot that he'd never guess, and then scare him after a few minutes, right? So anyway, one night, three of the guys hid in Ty's room, one behind the door. So Ty comes in and opens his door, and then Isaiah jumps out from behind the door and scares him, and he's like, ha ha, that's funny, funny. And then he goes over to his bed, and, uh, and they're just chatting, and he starts to get, get his bed ready for the evening. And from underneath, I forget who it was, somebody grabs his, I think Hudson grabs his, his leg from underneath, scares him to death. And then they're like, ha ha, really funny. Okay, good night, Ty, have a good sleep. And they leave the room, close the door, and then Ty's left there. And he's doing his thing, reading a book, brushing his teeth, like 15 minutes go by. Goes to the closet to get out his pajamas, and Nate is on the shelf in the closet, <laughs> crouched down. And when he opened the door, he just jumps out and scares him. And it's awesome. Um, uncomfortable moments. If you've ever lived in a dorm, uh, you have lots of uh, endless stories about being uncomfortable to um, church. Church can be an uncomfortable place as well. Um, you know, relationships, it's full. It's a place just full of relationships. Pe- people you know, people you hang out with, people you do life with, and things don't always go the way you want it to. And you walk through the doors and you sit down and the person you're sitting beside maybe this morning is somebody you're like, ugh, this is uncomfortable to be sitting beside you. Um, the church has, is embarrassing and awkward sometimes when I watch the news. And I see what the church is being portrayed as on a global stage. And the things that they're doing, I'm like, ah, why do you have to say those things? It's awkward. It makes me feel awkward. I had lots of awkward moments in this pew. How many of you guys sat on pews when you were growing up, going to church? There we go. That's all the old people here. (laughs) Welcome here, old people. So this is a pew. This is from uh, this church. It's up there. I went to that church. My grandparents helped started that church. My folks went there. Obviously, I went there. This is a pew from the church. It shut down after 100 years this past summer. And so I was able to get one of the pews. So I have, we have this at home. And when I think about it, brings floods back all kinds of memories. The hymn book. Don't you miss the hymn books? I love those hymns. Brings back memories, though. Um, If you know me very well at all, you probably guess I got in a lot of trouble growing up. The pew is a place that, for me, is a spot that I was always in trouble. 
You know, my, my mom played the piano in church every Sunday. And on the piano was this, the top piece had, had a mirror put into it. So there's a mirror on the piano. So when she's sitting facing the front of the church playing the piano, she can look in the mirror and see me the whole time. Basically, my entire existence in church was awkward because <laughs> I was always fooling around. I don't know how many times I got hauled out of this very pew <laughs> up to the back of the church. And then things happened out there that we can't talk about anymore. Um, my favorite awkward church story moment is my brother-in-law. I won't tell you which brother-in-law. But one of my brother-in-laws is sitting in church um, in the pews. And so the pews are tight, right? So it's, there's a pew right there in front of you at your knees. And he's sitting in church and he's in there early and they're singing an old hymn. And, and his wife hadn't come in to sit down yet. So halfway through these first couple songs, she comes in and she walks in front of him. And you know how you had to go down the aisle all the way down. It was really tight. Not as much room as we have now. And so when, he pa- when she passes by, um, she, he kind of uh, just gives a little pat to the bum as she goes by, right? In church. I know, inappropriate. I'm sorry. That's what he did. And then she sat, came over, sat down, looked at him, and it wasn't his wife. <laughs> Dead true story. It was his, it was his, it was his sister-in-law. Super fun. I <laughs> awesome. Awkward. Sorry, my name? My name's Trent. Nice to meet you. Um, so uh, the uh, the Christian community. Lots of us have a long history of it. Lots of us have a brief history with being in Christian community in the church. Uh, so today we're talking about uncomfortable community, and uh, it is at times. The Bible calls the church, this Christian community, calls it lots of different names. It has the city of the living God, the bride of Christ, New Jerusalem, house of God, the temple of the living God, a vineyard, and the body of Christ. The body of Christ. Christ is the head, we're the body, so we ought to function like Christ, right? So in how we behave in relationship. So how does Christ uh, behave in relationship? How does God behave in relationships? And so that's what I'm going to take a look, little look at today so it can advise us how we, as the church, as Christ's body, ought to behave. You with me? Okay. So we'll start with, uh, with God's very being, the Trinity. Matt mentioned it last week, but I want to, I want to take a look at this drawing or uh, painting by Rublev. It's called The Trinity. It's 600 years old or so. Um, these types of paintings were, were, were important back in the day because most people couldn't read and most people didn't have access to a Bible. So paintings, particular paintings like this, were done on purpose with everything in it with meaning to teach the things that you couldn't read that we can read now in the Bible, right? Um, so they're really important. Um, going left to right, you've got the Father, then the Son, then the Holy Spirit. Um, you can see the tree of life in the background. You know, they've got halos, meaning there's, there's light coming from them. They are light. Uh, they're standing, if you look at the bottom, there's gold platforms that their feet are on, a uh, symbol of purity. Uh, they're around a table. On the table, what's there? There's a cup. 
on the center of the table. It reminds you of something, right? The Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, um, Christ's sacrifice. Uh, so Jesus in the middle, he's wearing a robe and he's got, it's this uh, like red, brown, earthy colored robe and then a blue robe over top. So that earthy blue or red and, uh, and brown is to symbolize earth and the blue is of heaven, right? The sky. And so Christ, the incarnation, God uh, coming to earth, being fully man and fully God. And the spirit's robe um, on the right there has green and blue, symbol of the spirit of creation that, uh, that, that breathed life into creation and that he's a heavenly being in the father's robe. This is interesting, the shimmering of the father's robe. It's, it's multicolored, a whole bunch of different colors in there. It almost seems see-through, doesn't it? It's not solid like the other two. Um, and that's because if you remember Jesus' words, he said, nobody's seen the father. And he says, but if you've seen me, you've seen the father. Right? So there's supposed to be this mystery around uh, the Father because nobody's seen him. You notice the Father is looking at the Son with respect. And then the Son and the Spirit are both kind of bowing their head uh, towards the Father. They're in a circle. They're all sitting around in a circle. There's a flow to that around the table that they're in peace, harmony, shalom, like we just finished that series. The idea is that within the Trinity, it is relationship and it is shalom in perfect form. A modern version of this, uh, this idea, this Trinity idea uh, by Scott Erickson. Um, this is kind of cool. I like this one. I have this hanging in my office, actually, a print of this one. So you can see the, the three members of the Trinity there and the, they're, each one is holding a cup and each one is pouring into someone, into the person beside them's cup, right? And so there, it's forever, I love this symbol, it's forever receiving and ever giving. Always giving and always receiving. God's very essence is relationship. He doesn't exist outside of relationship. Our understanding as Christians is that God is three in one. It's the mystery, but what we do know about it is that it's relationship. And that's who he is. the smirking there we go stop working for a sec Um, one author put it this way God is relationship itself absolute relatedness the way of Jesus is an invitation to Trinitarian way of living of loving and relating in the, in, the, in the mystery of the Trinity, we see that God himself is relationship. His essence is relationship. Um, so what I'd like to do now is take a look at how does God function in, in relationship with human beings. <clears throat> Fascinating story. 4,000-year-old story that we find in the book of Genesis. Uh, God is making a covenant with Abraham, we know him as, but at that time he was called Abram. Um, so they make this promise to each other. Uh, God said, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make, look up at the sky, Abraham. See how many stars are up there? That's how many descendants you're going to have. Uh, I'm going to give you this land. And then Abram on the other side uh, of the promise, of the commitment, was, was to follow the living God. Was to say, we will follow you with our whole hearts, mind, soul, and strength. 
So they make this promise to each other. So the Lord, in Genesis 15, says, So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old. Abram brought all of these to him, cut them into two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep. When the sun had set, darkness had fallen. A smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land. It's kind of a gruesome scene, if you think about it, and if you picture it, right? Um, it's called, it was what's called a blood covenant. Uh, it was a common practice, though, 4,000 years ago. It was a typical ceremony that would have happened, where you sacrifice these animals, you cut them in two, you lay one half over here and one half over here, and you do that with all the three animals, and then you walk together, the two people that are making the promise to each other, walk through, through the middle, down the walkway, together, and they are sealing the promise to each other as they're walking through the middle. And as they pass through, they say this line, they say this liturgy, they say, may this be done to me if I do not keep my oath. That's serious, hey? So as they pass between the animals, they say, may this happen to me. Like this covenant between us is for my life. And even when we get married, we have these lines that we say, till death do us part. So here's the catch. If you noticed, both parties walk down the aisle pledging this promise, but Abram was sleeping, and God passed through. A smoking fire pot, a symbol of God. He passed through, only he did, and Abram didn't. And God was saying, I'll take that oath for both parties, both himself and Abram. God will take responsibility for the promises that he, that they both made. Basically, he's saying, if you don't hand up, hold up your end of the deal, then I'll do it for you. This is how God, 4,000 years ago, early on in his relationship with human beings, started that relationship. To make Abram's nation to be great, and he wanted that kind of a relationship with them. 2,000 years later, we have Jesus come. So God in the flesh now comes to live among us. Fully God, fully man. God with flesh on, living on earth with his people. And if we look at John 13, this is just before uh, Jesus taken away to to his death at the Passover celebration. Uh, before, the Passover, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He loved his disciples during his ministry on earth. And now he loved them to the very end. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand. Now what, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested. You will never wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. You know, it's this, it's this interesting dialogue where you can again see that 
Jesus had one idea in mind, and the disciples were confused and didn't really follow along with what he had in mind, how this is all going to play out, right? Um, That who God was was radically different than what they thought God was and who he was. The essence of God is self-sacrificing. So when, when, when Jesus said, you, don't, you won't belong, Jesus wasn't saying, you, you can't be part of my club or my group if you don't let me do this ceremony with you. He's saying, you don't understand that the only way I exist is in relationship. In Trinity relationship is how I actually, that's who I am at my very being, where you give and you receive. And this is the relationship I'm inviting you into. Do you follow me? I'm inviting you into the relationship that I am. One where I'm continually giving and receiving. And so when Peter said, no, 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 you can't do that for me. He was missing that piece, right? That that's the relationship that we, as the church, are invited into. Into that belonging. That very night after supper... Uh, Jesus was betrayed, ended up on a Roman cross. And Hebrews talks about that uh, this way. He says, the old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow. The sacrifices only, sorry, the sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were able able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. Our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. We know that we couldn't do We couldn't do our end of the bargain on our own, right? Um, So God fulfilled his promise by actually paying the price for us. We broke the covenant with him, and he upheld the end of the deal for us. So if you remember that, those animals that were cut in half and walking through, and as God passed through, but Abraham didn't. And so God in Christ completed the covenant promise that he made 2,000 years earlier to Abram. The cross is where God kept his promise as he passed through between the animals. Are you following me? He said, if you don't hold up your end of the deal, then I'll do it for you. And the cross is the place where he did that. In Corinthians, Paul says, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting sins, people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. I think the church has missed this idea from time to time. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. God wasn't turning his back on Jesus as he died. In fact, it was the opposite. He was in Christ repairing, reconciling the relationship with us, with his kids. He was in Christ fulfilling the promise that he made to Abram so long ago. May this be done to me if I don't keep my oath. So the church, the body of Christ, in all its funny looking people like these two guys, I zoomed in on them. Um, all the failures the church has made, all the mistakes, all the diversity you find in the church, differences of opinion, um, but even all the beauty of the church and the great things that happen in the church. Um, 
the endless stories of beautiful reconciliation and love for a, in a community like this. We're called to be Christ's body on earth, to be a reflection of God. And when we see, when the world sees the church, they should see God and see what he is like. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in Life Together puts it this way. The body is the proper metaphor for the Christian community. We are members of a body, not only when we choose to be, but in our whole experience. Every member serves the whole body, either to its health or to its destruction. There is no... Uh, This is no mere theory. It is spiritual reality. The Christian community has often experienced its effects with disturbing clarity, sometimes destructively and sometimes fortunately. No matter how poorly or how wonderfully we've done, we are still called to reflect God to the world. To be a God-like church. To be a Christ-like church, we often say. Because we are his body. So, looking back, A Christ-like church mimics that Trinitarian relationship. Always giving, always receiving, unified together. A Christ-like church practices covenantal relationship where we keep promises with each other even when others don't. If you don't hold up your end of the deal, I'll hold it up for you. That's the kind of place the church is supposed to be. And a Christ-like church is a self-sacrificing community. Practicing sacrificial relationships with each other. And our great, I mean, we're, it's the Christian church, Christ. The culmination of our faith is found in Jesus on the cross and three days later rising again. If self-sacrificial living isn't part of our church community, we are not reflecting Christ to our neighbors and the world around us. Putting other people, others first. Unfortunately, the church doesn't always live up to this great calling. Sunwest hasn't lived up to that great calling. Um, Canada has seen, uh, is watching a mass exodus of people leaving the church these days. Um, Eugene Peterson says it this way. It is interesting to note that Jesus quite popular with the non-church crowd, was not anti-institutional. Those who followed Jesus followed him into buildings, into religious institutions. We sometimes say thoughtlessly, I think, that the church is not a building, it's people. I'm not so sure, he says. Synagogues and temples, cathedrals and chapels, and meeting halls provide continuity in place and community for Jesus to work his will among his people. A place, a building, collects stories and develops associations that give local depth and breadth and continuity to our experience of following Jesus. We must not try to be more spiritual than Jesus in this business. Following Jesus means following him into sacred buildings that have a lot of sinners in them. Jesus doesn't seem to mind, though. A spirituality that has no institutional structure or support very soon becomes self-indulgent and one-generational. Great quote. At Sunwest, we've said for years that, you know, we're, the, the church is people. Because we don't have a building, we're in a theater, and our feet are on a sticky floor, if you remember those days. Uh, and we said, it doesn't matter. We don't need a building. And we don't need a building to own, but we needed a place to gather together so we could interact with each other, so we could be, have life on life, right? Um, 
And even though, like Peterson says there, there's a lot of sinners when you walk in those doors and you follow them into a building and there's a lot of people that do a lot of unkind things to each other. Um, I just think personally for myself, I've been going to SunWest for many years and I'm an Oilers fan. <laughs> and, and this whole place is full of Flames fans. I don't know why, but they are. And for years I've been mocked by people like Steve who's chuckling right now. And I've been mocked, and they've sinned so much mocking me over the years. <laughs> but lots of days I walked in, and the Oilers lost, and it was uncomfortable for me to walk through the doors. I hung my head in shame as I saw the guys in the foyer. But I'm going to take the high road and not mention anything about what happened last night. <laughs> I'm not even going to say a word about it, okay? Higher road. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the church isn't this, the bricks and mortar, the wood, the floor. It's the people, the people that do great things and the people that don't do great things to each other. Um, but it is more than just individuals out there saying, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. It is a place to gather. It's us coming together like we're doing now. It's a small group committed to each other. It's reflecting God to a world together, not as individuals, all saying we believe the same information. Functioning like Trinity itself. Might be here. Might be online if you're unable to join us here. And that's okay. But you still need to find ways to connect, to be in a group, not isolated. When we pull away from faith community, isolate ourselves, when we give up on the church and refuse to be vulnerable and carry each other's stuff, we become both self-indulgent and one generational, Peterson said. Just think about that for a second. A spirituality that has no institutional structure or support very soon becomes self-indulgent and one generational. So many People walk away from the church more and more these days, isolating themselves, pulling away when the going gets tough, when it's uncomfortable. They move along maybe to another church or maybe to no church at all. And one generational, you know, I heard a guy say years ago, he's chatting about this idea about multi-generational churches. And he said, um, you know, he said, if you have parents who are kind of half interested in faith and the church community and investing in the church community, uh, in gathering together, etc., results in kids that are kind of rare attenders. And then it also results in their kids or the grandkids of the original people um, who are probably not believers at all or often not believers. And one of the greatest tasks, I think, of the church is to pass our faith along to the next generation. And when I, when I heard that said a few years ago, I thought, I've never even considered my actions today affecting my grandkids. They're not born yet. And their kids after them. What we give ourselves to today impacts generations down the road. It made me stop in my tracks when I heard that. The Mexico trip. We've missed three years. Heartbreaking to not be able to go on the Mexico trip. Um, 
we've done 20 plus years uh, of this trip at SunWest. It's kind of part of our DNA of who we are as a church community. Um, Every spring break, for those of you who aren't familiar, every spring break we would go down and we're going to again this next spring break. So put it on your calendars. Next March we're going and uh, block it off in your calendar. And we take grade 9 to 12 kids and we go down and we do some, we do some house building for families in need. And, and I tell people it's kind of like running, it's kind of like going to summer camp where you have like talks in the evening and campfires and stuff like that. But instead of doing like archery lessons in the day, you build a house during the day. And so we kind of combine this mission trip and, uh, and going to Bible camp when you were a kid all into one. And, um, and man, do we ever miss, miss going there. Grade nine girl years ago uh, decided that she was going to come with great trepidation scary to travel across the continent through three countries and do this trip. And her dad happened to be a leader and he'd come as a leader before. And so she hit grade nine and she's like, yeah, okay, I'm going to come. And she's nervous. And it took some work leading up to the trip. Okay, I can do this. I can do this. Right. And they get in the vans and they head out that first day and her van is full of boys and they're all grade nines. And what do boys do when they're in a van driving for 30 hours across the continent? They fart all the time and then they giggle (laughs) and so the first stop for gas this young girl comes out and goes over to her dad who's in a different van runs up to her dad and said dad I can't take it it smells so bad in there I can't do this dad I don't I shouldn't have come he's like it's okay it's okay you'll get through it that they they make their way all the way down sleeping on the floor in churches and stuff like that as we traveled down staying overnight oh it's terrible dad i can't he's like just stick with it you can do this you can do this they get we get in mexico we set up our tents and the evening comes and the sun goes down and we have campfire and everybody is freezing cold around the campfire it gets down to like sometimes down to zero degrees there's like frost on the outside of the tents in the morning so it's cold. Everybody's huddling around the fire. She's like, Dad, I don't have my sleep. I don't have enough sleeping bags. I need another sleeping bag. I need, I need more blankets. So they, he gets more blankets, finds extra stuff. He's like, you're going to make it. You're going to make it. Gets up in the morning. I barely slept. It was awful, Dad. Um, I was so cold. I was shivering all night. I had the blanket right over my head. My nose was so cold. It's like just... Just go out to the site. I know you're going to enjoy it when we get to the site and you meet these families and stuff, right? So they go out to their two different sites they're working on. And at the end of the day, when we all got back and we're going to have supper, and she comes over to her dad and he's like, it was concrete day. For sure, she's not going to be happy after today. That's a hard day of work and it's dirty and sweaty and it's hot. And she says to him, I had the best day of my life the best day of my life, dad. And he never heard another negative comment the entire time on that trip. Even on the way home with those same boys. To be honest, the Mexico trip is a long series of uncomfortable situations. All of it's uncomfortable. (laughs) The sleeping, the driving, the building, the working, the cold, the everything. It's uncomfortable. There's no way that kids could come home from a trip like that, pumped on life, sleeping on the ground, working hard, etc., etc. But you know what? They're stuck on that trip. You can't get out. (laughs) 
We're driving across the continent. You can't just go home that night. But there's something really fascinating that happens in the midst of serving and sharing, giving, receiving, sacrificing, being uncomfortable. Something mystical happens on that trip, and we watch it over and over again. Every year we do it. Christ-like community happens because we're forced to live in that Christ-like community. And we've watched it over and over again. And it happens. And God is at work. God is at work on that trip. And God's at work here at SunWest. And you know, we believe that God is doing something new and fresh in our local faith community here of SunWest. Are we perfect? No. Are we awkward? Sometimes. Is it uncomfortable? Yeah. Have we made mistakes that we regret over the years? Of course we have. Have we done some great things too along the way? Yeah. Have we shone really bright? Yeah, we have done that too. One of our longtime values here at SunWest is authentic community. And this means pushing through discomfort into something real, authentic, and Christ-like. This is who we, the church, are called to be. So let's pray. Father, we pray that you would make us into a Christ-like church, one that is continually giving and receiving. Forgive our shortcomings, our epic failures too. May we be Trinitarian in the way we live, living in shalom, harmony, together with each other, pushing through difficult situations, being vulnerable with each other, to arrive at a place where we experience true belonging. Instill in us the courage to be who you've called us to be as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. I just want to end the service by taking a quick look at this painting one more time. There's a piece that I didn't draw attention to before. If you look at the table, on the front edge of the table, there's a little rectangle. Can you see that? Underneath the cup. Fallen off years ago, history says that there was a mirror in that spot. And if you notice, the spirit on the right is pointing to that mirror. So when you look at the painting you'll notice that there's a spot for you around the table. There's a spot for us around the table. And when you look at the painting, you actually see yourself at the table. The reflection in the mirror is you when you look. You're brought into the circle. Invitation into that covenantal self-sacrificing, ever-giving, ever-receiving Trinity relationship, the church. Let me leave you with this verse that we read last week, and it deserves to be read again. And let us, not cons- let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So I want to say to you, friends... 
Don't give up. Push through. Continue meeting together. Push through the awkward, uncomfortable times. The girl on a Mexico trip. The frustrations, the hurts that have been deep towards a richer covenant community here at SunWest. A covenant community where we aim to live like Christ and demonstrate who Christ is to the world around us. To be who we were meant to be. Thanks for joining us. See you next week. Happy Mother's Day. Prayer is available at the front and, uh, and as well online if you need it all. Prayer at sunlesschurch.com. Thanks. Have a great week.